Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in partnership with Maxis Global Benefits Network and all about the process and rationale when establishing a new captive with the primary purpose of ensuring international employee benefits. We know that for over 20 years existing captives have been adding the parents global benefits program to their portfolio but more recently, we have started to see EB being the initial driver of new captive formations. One of these cases is Meta, or Facebook as it was previously and still commonly known, which set up its first captive in Hawaii at the end of 2020. And we will be joined by Janae's Markland, Director of Business Risk and Insurance at Meta, and Judy Nye, Regional Business Development Manager at Maxis. Over the next 15 minutes or so, Janae's and Judy will discuss how to set out the business case for establishing a new captive for employee benefits, the role and relationship with the fronting network in the onboarding process, and whether we expect to see more such cases in the near future. So Janae, it's great to have you back onto the Global Captive Podcast. For listeners who may not have heard your first appearance on the pod in GCP 51, maybe it'd be good just to explain why did Meta choose to set up a captive for employee benefits? Thank you, Richard. Uh, it's good to be back. Back in early 2020, I was about a minute into my new job as Meta's and then Facebook's at the time, Director for Business Risk and Insurance, and our APAC employee benefits leader reached out to me. She pitched the idea of setting up a captive. She really wanted to help the company achieve its goals with respect to a global standard of care for employee benefits. She was so enthusiastic and extremely effective in highlighting all the ways with a captive, how it would be both helpful and efficient. And me, I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with captives. So we thought, eh, what could go wrong? Sure, let's do it. So that made the decision really easy. The business wanted it. There seemed to be a lot of upside given our potential for losses and our company demographics. And my job is to make sure our risk programs were making life easier and more efficient for our business partners. Great. So obviously, uh, really interesting that obviously it wasn't uh, a concept in terms of the employee benefits for the captive that you knew particularly well yourself from history. And as the concept was pretty new as well internally at Facebook, how tough a sell was that? Was that considering going in with EB? It's a bit of a bit of a big bit of business, isn't it, employee benefits? And it's also quite a personal one to lots of people, uh, all the employees across the business. So how, how tough was that sell? Yeah, so Meta had never had a captive before, and my experience with captives was pretty limited. <laughs> so it was, okay, how are we going to pitch this idea internally? The captive idea sounded a bit administratively heavy and possibly unnecessary and at odds with our move fast culture. So I was like, okay, how are we going to get over maybe some of these preconceived notions about what a captive is and what it can do for you? So we spent some time explaining what the captive was internally and how we thought it would be both good for employees and the company. And at the end of the day, I think there were two main selling points that sealed the deal for the captive. One was cost savings and the second item was equity and consistency. So for cost savings, uh, by using a captive, we could save money for our employees and ourselves. Our employees wouldn't be subject to payroll taxes if we were to reimburse them for any benefits. And the company would save premium by reinsuring those benefits that local insurance companies did not have a lot of experience with. And that uncertainty was reflected in their pricing. So it was more efficient for everyone to reinsure 100% to the captive where we could. On the equity and consistency front, we cared deeply about our people and we wanted them to thrive in both work and life. So with a captive, we could deliver care based on a consistent and fair framework rather than a value-based judgment and overcome some of the inconsistencies in the global insurance world. 
The second part of your question is around the personal bit of employee benefits. And that was very much top of mind for us. So the employee experience was number one consideration. We at first included only low-touch policies like life, accident, and disability. But then when we considered medical, the employee experience was the first and most important consideration. Our HR partners absolutely understood that and the change management needs. And so they addressed those right up front to make sure any transmission was as smooth as possible. Yeah, and obviously that collaboration with HR is a theme that really comes up a lot when we talk to captive owners and uh, benefit specialists and, and risk managers about this this process. So it's key to really get that right. Julie, I'm interested to know about the relationship really between the captive and, and the and the parent organization and the EB fronting network in this on onboarding process. Because as I've mentioned on the podcast before, and I've mentioned to Janae's before, it, it's relatively rare, although not completely uncommon for a captive to start up and be doing employee benefits right at the beginning of its life journey. So obviously your yeah, experience in working with all different kinds of captives, Julie, is, is the role different for you and the fronting network when there's already an established captive in place compared to this kind of situation where the captive is going to be going kind of going live at the same time as the, the EB program? Um, I'd say a little bit. And um, first of all, by the way, very happy to be here, Richard. Um, long time listener. So first time participant. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, generally, whether it's an existing captive or a brand new captive, as it was with Meta, we're going to work with the captive and their global consultant to look at the business by market. We'll come up with an implementation plan by waves. We'll help them drive, you know, figure out what the priorities are. Um, there might be waves of renewals coming up market by market, which ones are the highest priority, which ones do we want to look at for the captive first. So we're going to work on that basis, whether it's an existing captive or a brand new one. But if it is a newer one, then that's where we're going to be able to share a lot more of our expertise and what we've seen for best practices with other captives, not only on the implementation priorities, but also what we see in various markets, what we've seen work best and also considering the specific governance and structure of that particular captive, whether they work with a global consultant, whether they work with local consultants, and how best to navigate those waters, as it were, and make sure that we're aligned both from a global and from a local perspective. Janae's in terms of navigating those waters then from the kind of the feasibility process at the start to the day that you first went live with your first EB policies going through the captive. Um, how did you find that process? And, and would you have any advice for other organizations considering kind of a similar route? Sure. Yeah. At first, I was a bit intimidated, to be honest. So I had not a lot of experience with captives. And so the first piece of advice was to be get a good broker who communicates well, obviously an industry leading reinsurance partner with a footprint that closely mirrors your own is important. Thank you, Julie. And has a network known for delivering that high quality employee experience. So once you get those three things under your belt, you feel a little more confident, or at least I did. And so after that, our process was really easy. We also have a really good captive manager for on the day-to-day -day who's also excellent. The second piece would be to involve your accounting teams and tax teams early. There are a lot of rules that apply. I was actually pretty surprised by all of them and they will help you. They will want to know what you're doing and will have a lot of good questions and advice. So in return, I think you get to make some new friends internally that you'll talk to on a fairly regular <laughs> basis regarding captive performance, the new products you want to offer, some of your results and the audits that need to be completed. 
I would say probably one of the most important things we did was establish our objectives for the captive and let those guide our decision-making. For ours, we chose solvent, helpful, and efficient to guide our decision-making. And we keep track of our performance in those terms as well. And once we landed on those objectives, we were able to build decision trees to help us choose which policies to reinsure to the captive, where we might consider quota shares, and where sometimes we just needed to say no, where it didn't make sense for us. Those few things, that handful of, of items I just listed off, really helped get our captive going and made me feel really comfortable about what we were doing. Great. So was that solvent, helpful, and efficient was the free? Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. That sounds like a good philosophy for, for any EB captive or just any captive. That sounds like a good slogan uh, for, for captives in general. Julie, what about the unique challenges then, if there are any or considerations, if, if the captive is? I know that we'll come on to this regarding Meta and the captive is being used for other lines instead of just EB. But you know, are there considerations or challenges when the captive is only going to be writing kind of EB from the beginning? It's a good question. I think it's just a slightly different approach from the beginning, right? Just bearing in mind that you're growing together. Together. So it's not just a new relationship for Maxis, which of course we really appreciate, but it's also a new relationship for everybody. So that first piece of business that gets placed is really the first piece of business for everyone. And it's just building that captive and bearing in mind how to look at the scope and how to balance it as you go along. And um, as Janice has already mentioned, sometimes you change the approach as you go along and as the size as it grows. At the beginning, a captive that's just writing EB from the beginning just doesn't have that vast size of other businesses already in the captive. So they might be a bit more selective at the beginning. And again, just as we grow and get more comfortable with the risk and there's more of a spread of risk, then there's more that we can achieve together. We want to be flexible as that approach might change. So for example, it might start out employee benefit benefits only with focus on the life and the risk type benefits to including the medical lines as well. And, you know, changing and being flexible and adaptable as that goes along is important as well. Also, of course, we're working with the global consultants and they're, they're doing the same, you know, making sure that we're all aligned, but also just being flexible to grow because you really have that upward trajectory. I have it in my mind. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it, but visually, you know, there's that huge trajectory from zero to question mark, you know, as that captive really grows. And then think about the other lines, um, um, like property and casualty that might be useful as you go along in the spread of the risk and adding other risks, um, other capital in the future, if that's where the captive decides to go, such as cyber risks and directors and officers, that kind of thing. So one of the areas when I talk to a lot of employee benefits people or the risk managers who are overseeing uh, a captive-backed employee benefits program, one of the areas that often comes up and, and, and they're very passionate to talk about is the way that they can use the captive to put extra covers in place or to, to add value, which might not be available as, as easily in the commercial market. So with that in mind, how much value or benefit are you seeing come from using the captive in relation to diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives? That's a great question too. We actually work with a captive today on diversity, equity and inclusion and aligning the cover to global minimum standards of care that the the client, you know, and the captive has in place for them. So how do we make sure we align with the strategy wherever possible? What's the value proposition to the employees? Things like, you know, if you're a company wants to, you know, wants to make sure that as, as many are, of course, that an employee can bring their whole self to work, that they feel that they're attracting and retaining the best talent by offering the kinds of benefits that are the minimum for somebody to want to join the company at the very least, and hopefully going beyond. How do you make sure you set that up, um, bearing in mind diversity and equity and inclusion? There are some differences. So local market practice, of course, can be different than 
aligning with global minimum standards of care. And in some cases, the local market might not have experience pricing those kinds of benefits. In some cases, from a compliance or a regulatory perspective, it may not be possible. And that's understandable. But, you know, it's important to get that messaging through that if it's not possible in the local market, that that's why. On the flip side, if it's not a standard market practice, but you want to offer it, it's really powerful for the captive to say, hold on, we have the power, we have the pricing power here. Um, we know it's not standard in the market. We know that you may not have a book of business yet on this type of cover, but we're comfortable with it. We've got the power to underwrite it. So we're going to take, we're going to lean in to the risk and we'll cover it. And you know what? We'll reprice it at the end of the rate guarantee if necessary, but we can help you. We can help you by obviously reinsuring it at the end of the day, but also providing that power to provide the cover where you might not always be able to. And just some examples. There haven't really been example heavy on this one, but we're talking about things like this. This is a very standard approaches for captives that we work with. They may say globally, we want to cover HIV and AIDS. Globally, we want to remove exclusions. One of the more recent examples is, of course, COVID, if there are exclusions for COVID. If it's possible in that market, if there isn't a regulatory reason why not, then let's remove those kinds of COVID exclusions, whether it's for testing or for coverage or for vaccines or for side effects. Where might there be ex gratia payments for exceptions to cover somebody that would not normally be covered under the policy? Where can we run that through the insurance, but on an ex gratia basis? where we might want to cover same-sex partners, whether it's for medical plans or for dependent coverage, etc. And then also what we're hearing more and more is gender dysphoria benefits. Where can that be covered? And granted a local insurance company, one of our members may not have a lot of experience underwriting gender dysphoria benefits, but as long as it's possible and practicable in the market, then having the captive behind it means that we can offer it working in partnership with the global consultants and with the captive. Julie, you just described everything that attracted us to the whole captive idea in the first place. So <laughs> that was quite the sales pitch. <laughs> We've already bought. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great to hear. I mean, one thing I've talked about, Julie, with some of your colleagues before at Maxis is actually uh, we talk a lot nowadays in the captive world about ESG and how what role captives have to play regarding supporting their own parents' ESG initiatives. And actually, one of the I think you could call it low-hanging fruits, is using employee benefits, particularly to contribute to that S side of ESG. And that's where I think diversity, equity, and inclusion comes in. And I, I think obviously being able to put a value around that and communicate it and report on it is going to be really, really useful yeah. to companies. So I think that's going to be an area we only talk about more in the future. Yeah. Let's let's move on, Julie, because we've talked about in previous episodes the different ways to ensure employee benefits, not just including a captive. And one of those, of course, is is a multinational pooling. And we know lots of captives have kind of come from that multinational mm -hmm. pooling background and then included a captive. But there's probably lots of big companies out there that do pool globally their employee benefits, but don't have a captive. I'm wondering, are those kind of companies looking from your in your experience to move in towards a captive and could that lead to us seeing more captives prompted by eb like this one was honestly yes our perspective absolutely we're seeing this um we see it as a very strong trend whether it's a global client like facebook at the time now meta taking the decision to move from a pooling arrangement to a captive and or sometimes their employee benefits being added to an existing pnc captive because those 
usually are the precursor, but not always, of course, as we've discussed. We're definitely seeing many clients asking about it. And honestly, moving towards a captive approach is very common for us to see a pooling client ultimately move to a captive program. We believe it's the most efficient and effective way to run a global employee benefits program because you get control of the level of benefits offered worldwide. You get control of the pricing. And then, of course, you get the benefits from pooling that you would have had before, such as the improved data and management information about global employee benefits spends and the, the claims experience, that kind of thing. But you're layering on those other benefits on top, you know, the, the control of the benefits, the power of the pen that we already talked about, and the pricing to be able to offer these kinds of benefits and really control both what's offered and at what price. Just to finish off, Janae, I thought it'd be good because we did have you on the podcast a year and a half ago. Uh, it, it would be good to get an update for our listeners of, of what's happened to the captive since then, because when we spoke then it was pretty new. And obviously we're another 18 months down the line, I think. So I believe it's get, been getting pretty active, you know, not just in the world of employee benefits. How has it evolved in that time, both on the benefits side and on other lines? Yeah, so I would say if anything, I completely underestimated the potential of this captive to unlock all <laughs> kinds of flexibility for us. So it has been quite the ride. We, Of course, we started in 2020 with that single parent captive. We were going to be handling all the business we expected at the time. So things like, you know, the, the employee benefits in rest of world, we we're going to move on to the US. Some property and construction was definitely a possibility and other common captive risks. But in, in 2021, we really got started with an effort with a couple of dozen other companies to allow Delaware corporations to use captives for our side A DNO risk. So we really wanted to be ready for that. That meant completely reorganizing our captive. <laughs> so as I was just getting the hang of captives, now it was something brand new. We reorganized it from a single parent captive to a cell arrangement so that we could use one cell to dedicate completely to DNO and then the other for everything else. So we worked with the Department of Insurance in Hawaii and worked out all the particulars. And I'm happy to say that in June of this year, we did put a pretty decent sized chunk of side A DNO into our captive. And we hope to do even more next year. No, it's really fascinating to hear about that. I'll just say that we will be talking about that in more detail in a, in a later episode. But I just wanted to ask a question, Janae, is on the EB side, presumably when you did restructure the captive to be a cell captive, that, that didn't change really the structure of the way that EB works, does it? it presumably that was a, a smooth process. Yeah, absolutely. It was just take everything out of our existing captive and pop it into our new cell. And there was it was really seamless from everybody's perspective. There was no disruption to the business. As far as what's next, probably don't even know what will be into next. <laughs> but we have a few <laughs> ideas in mind. And of course, we will be looking at where we can be helpful and efficient for Meta. But of course, of there is more work to do and we will always keep that solvency in mind. Well, it just shows you as well that captives can be forward for all different kinds of reasons. As we discussed, the primary driver here was, here was employee benefits and that's obviously provided great value, but it becomes such a useful tool in all different kind of maybe unimagined ways at the start of the journey. Absolutely. Well, thank you to Janae's Markland of Meta and Julie Nye of Maxis Global Benefits Network for joining me on the Global Captive podcast. Meta is certainly a really fascinating case study in seeing the journey of a captive that was originally EB driven. If you would like more information on the Maxis Global Benefits Network, then visit their friend of the podcast page on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Captives.